Yeah, can we start with questions? Everybody agrees, but nobody's going to ask. What is a <laughs> feed you a question. Do they exist? <clears throat> what is a soulmate and do they exist? Is there only one? Yes. Is there only one? Already, do you regret asking? You haven't, you haven't even met him yet, and you want to get past conflicts. <laughs> what are you, what are you expecting? <laughs> That's it. All the esoteric questions. Okay, here's here's how I want to go about this whole thing. I want to make sense of this little sentence. There is nothing that a man can offer a woman, and there is nothing a woman can offer a man. Because whatever it is, you can get it from somebody else. So there is nothing that makes a man necessary in a woman's life, and there is nothing that makes a woman necessary in a man's life. True or false? Okay. By the end of the evening, by the end of the evening, I hope that will be true and it will make sense. Because this is a big part of our problem. We think that we can get something from each other. And we're always disappointed. In fact, <clears throat> many studies have proven without, beyond a doubt that men are not good for women. And women are not good for men. Hmm? It included the Jews. Because a man is much better off without a woman. And a woman is... And a woman is... And a woman is much better off without a man. And what has happened in our society? The exact opposite. Men and women should get to know each other. From what age? Four. It's a disaster. We don't get to know each other, even if you start at four, because we have started at four. We don't know each other. We're still puzzled. Not only that, by getting to know each other, we fail to get to know ourselves. A four-year-old who already a four-year-old boy who already understands girls, he's in trouble. He's not supposed to understand girls. They're supposed to remain a total mystery forever. Anyway, the worst thing I hear during marriage counseling, the worst thing is a man says, I figured her out. Now I know she's in trouble. He figured her out. It's a disaster. 
you don't figure her out. So if men and women are disasters for each other and you're better off without, that would explain why God invented marriage. Because marriage means you stop being a woman and you become a wife. And you stop being a man and you become a husband. A quick example, a woman is very, a wife is very upset because every time they go out to any event, her husband is always flirting with the women. So she drags him off for counseling or therapy or whatever she thinks he needs. And the therapist or the counselor explains to her that she's overreacting. She has nothing to worry about. Flirting with the women doesn't mean he's about to divorce you or that he doesn't love you or that he's cheating on you. It doesn't mean that at all. A man in the presence of women likes to show off. He likes the attention. It's just a man thing. Don't worry about it. She says, that's exactly my problem. He's doing a man thing, but he's a husband. Now, a husband has the same needs as a man. That's not good. That means he has not become a husband. And that's, that's frightening. That's disturbing. So in this case, yeah, men like to show off in front of women. It's a male thing, the peacock syndrome. <laughs> but a husband? A husband has no such need. So if he's still doing that, in most cases, when he's home, he's a husband. But as soon as he gets out into public, he goes back to being a man. The truth is, that in our society today, nobody wants to be a husband. It's embarrassing. And nobody wants to be a wife. It's depressing. Wives are desperate. That's all they ever are. And that's why when married women get together for an evening, they call it a girl's night out. Not a wives night out. No, that's ridiculous. They want to have some fun. Wives have no fun. So not only is it not a wives night out, it's not even a woman's night out. <laughs> you got to go back to being a girl last time you had fun. And part of that is the media. The the mockery of marriage and of wives and of husbands. The way wives are depicted in the media, why would you want to be a wife? There's no glamour in it. And why would you want to be a husband? There's no greater wimp, there's no greater loser than husbands. Look at the commercials. So that's why most commercials involve single people in their 30s, eating potato chips. <laughs> it's 
about as serious as they want to get. And if they show married couples, it's always the guy is such a wimp that the wife has to wake up in the middle of the night to get him the NyQuil so that he can sleep. <laughs> Who wants to be a husband after that? So this is the disaster. People get married, she remains a woman, he remains a man, and if you remember, men and women are no good for each other, and they do not get along. So of course, there's going to be trouble. That's where the concept of soulmate comes in. If you're going to marry a woman, or you're going to marry a man, you're going to be in trouble. The only way a marriage can work is if the person you're marrying is your soul mate. So even in the language that we use, this woman says, I've been trying to get married for six years. Where are all the men? And I said, that is disgusting. All the men is none of your business. You're not marrying all the men. <laughs> she says, no, no, I, I meant uh, a man. You haven't met a man? <laughs> she says, somebody special. Haven't met anybody special? Where do you live? <laughs> she says, no, come on, I, I mean the one for me. In three and a half minutes, we went from all the men <laughs> down to the one for me. It's not hard to find the men. It's not hard to find a man. And it's not hard to find a special man. They're all over the place. But the one, yeah, that's, that's a little more difficult. But what do you call the one for me? Not a man, not a special man. The one for me, also known as husband. So I am looking for my husband, not for a nice guy. And that's why you sometimes marry a guy and he's not nice. <laughs> You weren't looking for a nice guy. You were looking for your husband. And your husband's not a nice guy. What are you going to do? <laughs> or in reverse, you're not looking for a woman, a great woman, a special woman. No, you're looking for your wife. Otherwise, you're not interested. Let me tell you how serious this problem is. A man is 52 years old. He comes home to his 49-year-old wife, and he says, we just hired a new secretary, and she is absolutely gorgeous. Problem? Problem? Of course. Why? Huh? <laughs> I have never heard that response before. 
Why is that a problem for the wife, not for the business? <laughs> Why is that a problem? Mm. Mm. Do you hear what you're saying? She's 49 years old. The secretary is 21. And she's competing with the 21-year-old. Why is she competing? Exactly. Why is she competing? Why is she threatened by a 21-year-old? Because she's gorgeous. Is the issue that her husband hired a 21-year-old? Where does the issue lie? Uh-huh. She expressed remorse. Just the fact that he hired her. He talked about her. Right. So some women say, he shouldn't have said that. So, oh, keep it to himself. <laughs> no, he shouldn't have thought that. So you mean he shouldn't have noticed. He shouldn't notice whether somebody's good looking, ugly looking, tall, short. He shouldn't notice. <laughs> that is so unreal. Huh? He should feel He is. Exactly, especially when you're 49 and this is 21. Everybody in the office years. agrees. <laughs> they took a vote. <laughs> it's, it's public opinion now. No, no, but listen, listen to what I'm saying. If at 49 you can be threatened by a good-looking girl, your life is not livable. You live with anxiety. You live with stress. Every time your husband walks out the door, you need antidepressants. <laughs> you can't live like this. It's cruel and unusual punishment. So what should be? It should be you're married to your soulmate. Everybody else can be as gorgeous as they want. It's irrelevant to me. Because all I was interested is in my soulmate. That's the, the essence of the concept. Soulmate means there is one person out there meant for you. The rest are all gorgeous, but irrelevant. So you see something gorgeous, you say, wow, that's gorgeous. You see a really good looking car, you say, wow, that's expensive. And you keep on walking. That's how it should be. So the idea of a soulmate means I have found what is mine and now we can become one. That's it. It's not conquest. It's not proving anything. It's not, it's not a, a rivalry. Yeah, it should because be. You're, con you're secure, right? Is the problem that she's insecure? In society makes people insecure. The way we think about relationships, we're insecure. I remember when, when Avraham and Sarah went down to Egypt, Avraham says, 
wow, you're good looking. Say you're my sister. Because otherwise they'll kill me in order to take you. Because they were very moral people, you see. And they didn't believe in adultery. And killing the husband was <laughs> killing the husband was a solution. I mean, what do you want the woman to live by herself? She's a poor widow. You take her in. So that twisted morality, right? But what does it mean? Avraham says, "Oh, you're good looking." What did he just notice for the first time? He always knew she was beautiful. But that was never a threat, because in a normal way of thinking, beauty and intimacy are not related. But in Egypt, the morality or the mentality was, if it's beautiful, I got to have it, which is criminal thinking. If it's a beautiful painting, I'm going to steal it. If it's a beautiful diamond, I'm going to walk off with it. Why? Hey, it's beautiful. And everything beautiful suddenly becomes desirable. That, that's twisted thinking. So it's almost like dangerous to be good looking. What kind of society is this? So let's understand what soulmate really means. Why? Why? They've been married for 28 years and she still doesn't try. Yeah? <laughs> I'm secure, I just don't trust my husband. <laughs> You're secure in your lack of trust. <laughs> right. yeah. So the question is this. By nature and by the healthy lifestyle that we're supposed to have, should a man be completely content in his marriage and no matter how good-looking somebody else is he's not jealous if she's married to somebody else he's not looking to make some conquest or to get into an affair he's happy is that possible it's not possible then then life is impossible <laughs> then nothing is secure. You can't trust anybody. On the contrary, if a man hires a beautiful secretary and he's afraid to mention it to his wife, That's the problem. aha, because he is already not feeling so worthy, trustworthy. So now he's afraid to say it because she's going to think because that's what he's thinking. 
anyway so let's let's go get to get to the to the beginning of this whole thing where does the notion of soulmate come from so we're told right in the beginning of voracious in the description of creation very strange thing god creates the first human being male and female already weird then god performs an operation separates these siamese twins and they become two independent people immediately after that god says to them get married and become one cleave to your wife and become one they must have been puzzled <laughs> we were one you separate us and then you tell us to become one what's going on how is it that two people could become one seems humanly impossible two separate people two different needs two different personalities particularly if you're from mars and she's from venus i mean how do you become one common common life goals does not really make you one Those are all very nice features and very nice qualities, but I need your respect. How are we one? I have what you don't. How are we one? You have what I need. How are we one? For what? To have children. That's true. In the child, you are one. There's one child, the product of two people. But that's not what the Torah is saying. The Torah is saying marriage will make you one, not children. <clears throat> so, so you're not whole as just one, so you complement each other to become whole. You become better, you're just whole. Okay. So here's the conundrum. If we need something from each other, that emphasizes our separateness. I am me and you are you. I'm lacking something, you have something. Let's make a deal. That doesn't make us one. On the other hand, you're right. When you get married, you're supposed to become complete, which means you were missing something before. So. So first, let's get the information, then we'll get the explanation. Adam and Eve were one, like two sides of a coin. One face was male, the other face was female. There's no stronger oneness than that. I mean, absolutely inseparable. Two sides of a coin. I gave one of my grandchildren a silver dollar for Hanukkah guilt. And the kid was sitting there desperately trying to peel it. 
<laughs> to get to the chocolate inside. Eventually, he throws it away, and he said, this is not good. Can't peel it. So when you're connected, like two sides of a coin, you can't peel it apart. It's real oneness. When you become one in marriage, not exactly the same thing, is it? No matter how one you become, it's not like you were. So what benefit came from the separation and what virtue does the oneness of marriage have over the oneness that we were created with? This is the most beautiful concept you can possibly imagine. When they were one by creation, they were one back to back. God separated them so that they can come together and become one face to face. By the way, that's why intimacy has to be face to face. So we learn a few things. Number one, human beings, male and female, can become one because we were originally one. We're just going back to our truest nature. If it was not our nature to begin with, we wouldn't be capable of changing our nature to become one. But our nature actually is to be one. So our separation was not an improvement. All separation is unholy. God is one. God is all about oneness. Separation is not godly. So the separation was not an improvement. The oneness that marriage will produce is an improvement. So it was worth having that very delicate surgery in order to be one face to face, even though it's not the same uh, inseparableness that we had before. But just to be able to be face to face is worth everything. What exactly that means, we'll, we'll get to in a moment. Obviously, being connected back to back is not intimate. There's no romance, there's no intimacy, there's no beauty. Face to face, that's awesome. Also, face to face means you're going to get into arguments. Back to back, you never argue. You don't even see who you're arguing with. Face to face means it's going to be an intimate relationship. An intimate relationship means there's a possibility of pain of irritation, of friction. But it's all worth it because the face-to-face -face oneness is the most godly. So the first thing we learn is that oneness is possible because we were originally one. And just as it is with the body, the same is true with the soul. The soul was one soul. It got divided into male and female. In marriage, they are reunited. 
Now, reunion is a completely different experience than a union. So can two men get married to each other? They can create a union and live happily ever after. But it's not a marriage because it's not a reunion. Number two, the other thing we learned from that, from that description is that the purpose of marriage is oneness. It moves us past all the things we thought marriage is supposed to produce. So if you're marrying someone for something, it's going to be a disaster. So for example, a man says, I love you for your money. And I want to marry you for your money. And she has money. Anything wrong with that shidduch? What's wrong with that shidduch? She can lose the money. He's marrying the money. Huh? Yes, exactly right. Except that it's not a reunion because it was never his. <laughs> It's true, she could lose the money. And then, without the money, he was never married to her. So if the money goes away, same thing is true with any shared interest. We both love Pina Colada and Walks in the Rain. Remember that song? You love Pina Colada and... Yeah, really? Me too. Let's get married. No, just drink pina colada and walk in the rain. Where are you getting married? So a common interest does not make you one with each other. It makes you one with the pina colada and the, and the walks in the rain. So you both love money. Good. So you're both married to the money, not to each other. Can I ask a question about the girl? Let, let's, let's hold this one. Don't forget. Uh, so a man says, I love every, he actually said this to me, I love everything about my wife. Said, Whoa. That's a serious claim. <laughs> okay, let's assume that that's true for the sake of argument. You love everything about your wife. Do you love her? He says, everything about her. I said, do you love her? He says, what does that mean? What does that mean? What's a her? <laughs> the first time I heard, I was very young, and all of a sudden I'm doing marriage counseling. Like this funny guy said to me, you do marriage counseling? I said, yeah. He said, how many times were you married? Once. <laughs> What do you know? <laughs> it's a good argument. 
Anyway, so this guy says, I'm, I'm getting divorced. I'm getting, I, I don't need this. So like a typical yeshiva bacher, I said, you don't need this? So divorce this. Why are you divorcing her? Because <laughs> when he said this, he meant her. But he doesn't know her. He only knows the this. And he's had enough of this. He's going to try some of that. That is very sad. The saddest part of it is they each, in a, in a moment of honesty, they each will admit that they feel alone in the world. The oneness of marriage is supposed to be the antidote to aloneness. We have a terrible plague in this generation. We are more communication today than ever. We travel more on, in the good old days. We travel more than in any other generation. We have thousands of people liking us online, and we are the loneliest generation in memory. In England, because of, uh, what is it called, the medicine, Government-sponsored medicine, what is it called? National medicine. National health. Whatever it is, okay. So since the government pays for it, they're very concerned with saving some money. And they realized that the source of many, many health issues is loneliness. Because when you feel alone, your immune system crashes. So they opened a special department in the Ministry of Health to deal with the issue of loneliness. But when married couples are feel alone, that's scary. Because if marriage isn't going to cure it. So couples who are happily married, they have a successful marriage. They have no complaints, except... They feel alone. Now what's going on? What's going on is they're married to something in each other, but not to each other. So if you're marrying for money, you're not marrying her, you're marrying the money. The result is if the money goes away, there is nothing left because there never was anything more than the money. Which means that even while they were married, even while there is money, even if the money never goes away, they are never going to be married to each other. So they will feel alone in the world. Marriage, by the way, is the only solution. You are not one with your parents no matter how much you love them and they love you. You're never one with your mother or father because they have each other. You're number three, <laughs> not number one. And with your children, same thing. You're not one with your children. 
only marriage, the only relationship where two people can actually become one. So if marrying for money is a lie, I love you for your money? No, you don't love me at all. You love the money. You want to marry me for the money? No, you don't want to marry me. It's like, you know, we do this with God also in religion. I want to get to heaven. I want to get to heaven. Can, can, can I get into heaven? Well, if you serve me, if you worship me, if you love me, can't anything be simple anymore? Just let me into heaven. Why does everything have to be so complicated? I just want heaven. I don't want you. That's what every religion says to God. A man says, I want to marry you for your money. He's really saying, can you just give me the money? No, I suppose not. Huh? Guess I'm going to have to marry you for the money. It is such an insult. But listen to this. One of the things that destroys marriages is love. Love is a disaster. But one man says to a woman, I want to marry you for your money. The other guy says, I want to marry you for your love. Which one is worse? Money is at least useful. I want to marry you for love. <laughs> I want to feel love. I want to give you love. Hang on, hang on. Listen to this. I want to marry you because I'm in love with you. What's wrong with that? Well, you get married, and a week later, your husband expresses an opinion. <laughs> and your reaction is, what, 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 what? Hey, just the love. <laughs> I married you for the love. There's nothing in the contract about opinions. So if the wife expresses a need, a feeling, a mood, uh, 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 uh. Just love. Stick to the love. So if the money goes away, there's no relationship. If the love goes away, there has never been a relationship. What's your definition of love? Or a relationship. We'll, 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 we'll pursue that a little further. But right now the point is, money is a thing... And things cannot make you one. Love is also a thing. Whatever it is, you can have it, not have it. You can have more, you can have less. It's a thing. So if a, if a, if a couple are married, you know, with a chuppah and the whole thing, right? and they don't love each other, are they not married? Hmm? They're married. So the husband, typically, who has an affair, will say, 
Yes, I'm having an affair because my marriage is not a marriage. We don't love each other. Oh, so you got divorced? No. So it's not adultery? Because you don't love each other? So marriage means love. Without love, there's no marriage. So as soon as you stop loving me, you can go do whatever you want. So anytime you introduce a thing into your marriage, you are destroying the oneness because things get in the way. In order to be one, you have to remove all things. All things. Love is a thing. Pina colada is a thing. Money is a thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've claimed as a teacher, so it's not, not married for money. <laughs> All right, let's not let's not get too off the, off the no, track. Hold on, you can marry anybody. Yes, as long as we're off the track. Anyway, listen to this. I'm not going to explain it because it's a big. If you can't marry anybody, then you can't marry anybody. Okay, let's, let's finish the idea. Because love is an item, it's a thing, it will, get, it will get in the way. You are loving the love, not the person you're married to. Like, I love how you love me. Remember that song? I love how you love me. If you don't love me this way, don't need you. Here's the other thing that's ruining marriages, destroying marriages. Sex. Sex destroys marriages because it has become a thing and everything gets in the way. So <clears throat> after a couple have been intimate, or what should have been intimate, he says, how was it? How was it? Uh, there was just me. Are you calling me an it? <laughs> there was just you and me. Where's the it? You see what I'm saying? It's a thing. We just did something. That's not intimate. All things are objectifiers. It was a thing we did. So, first of all, who invited this thing into our relationship? And secondly, you need to ask, weren't you there? <laughs> Where were you? I mean, this is, this is serious. It's abusive. We're sharing the most intimate moment and you don't know what's happening? You have to ask how? Obviously, you were not there. 
you were in your universe, she was in her universe, and now you have to compare notes? <laughs> Intimacy is basically lacking because it's been replaced by sex. Now, sex used to be the most intimate thing in the world, but that was before the 60s. <laughs> in the 60s, everybody decided that it doesn't need to be so meaningful. Let's make it a little more recreational, free love, meaning free of emotions, free of commitment, free of intimacy, just casual. So that was one mistake. The other mistake was calling it love. Intimacy is not love. You listen to the language, and when you think about it now, you'll see how destructive it really is. We're making love that is so vulgar. You're being intimate. How? how how does it improve things to call it love? Why can't you say we're being intimate? Intimacy is much more powerful than love. So you're reducing it by calling it love. And it becomes absurd that this child saw a dog mating and said, oh, they're making love. No, they're not making love. And you don't make love. It's not a thing you can make. So the whole thing is just distorted and perverted and destructive. He's my lover. Yeah, I know him. He's anything but a lover. The man's a monster. No, but he's my lover. Like, that's all he ever does is love. He's like a love machine. <laughs> he, what is he? He's a lover. What a title. So then what is love? Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good question. All right, so to be married, you have to be joined to each other by removing all you are not married because of anything at all. So we started off with the statement, there is nothing a man needs from a woman. Because whatever it is, he can get it from somebody else. We used to think a man needs a woman for sex. No. It doesn't have to be a man and a woman. A man and a woman need each other to have a baby. No. We've solved that problem. <laughs> you don't? So do we need each other for anything? The answer is no. It was never about anything. So why, if a man is as perfect as he thinks he is, would he bother getting married? If he has everything, why would he get married? That makes more sense. 
I am perfect. I don't need anything, but Torah says, got to get married. Get married. Yeah, whether you need it or not. Right? So here's the point. This is really very romantic. God is certainly perfect in every way possible. And yet he creates us. Why? Why? If you find an answer to that, you have found the essence of Judaism and the essence of marriage. Why would a perfect being create anything? To get what? To give. In order to get what? What does not being alone add? So imagine, I, you're married and you need absolutely nothing from your spouse, but your spouse is not available. What are you missing? If you're missing companionship, then you do need something from your spouse. You need companionship, which you could also get from some other people. It's a thing. You can pay for it. <laughs> you can buy it on the open market. So if I marry you and I don't need anything from you, it's not about anything because I am perfect. But I want you in my life, and I can't have you. What am I missing? I'm not missing any thing you're missing in my life. And the question is, why, if I am perfect, does my life have to include you? That's called oneness. God is certainly perfect without us. He needs nothing from us. But if we're not in a relationship with him, we are missing in his existence. Does that make him less perfect? No. We're missing. Like when your husband is out of town, you miss him. What do you miss about him? He's out of town. I miss him. Yeah, what, what about him do you miss? It's a ridiculous question. I miss him. Don't you have friends to talk to? Yes. I'm not lonely. I miss him. That's not about anything. The sad part of the story is that happens only when he's out of town. <laughs> the minute he comes back, it's about something. Oh, good. Take out the garbage. <laughs> so we do know what it means to love someone to the exclusion of all things. So who is this someone 
if you take away all things. The guy who says, I love everything about my wife. He loves her looks. He loves her personality. He loves her sense of humor. He loves her, her style. He loves her mother. He loves everything about her. Do you love her? I don't know what that means. So who is he married to? He's married to her looks, to her personality, to her sense of humor, to her money, to her mother. He's married to so many different things, just not to her. What's wrong with loving all those things and her? Mm. All of those things you can get from somebody else. Nothing to send package. Oh, the convenience of it. <laughs> One stop shopping. Yeah. Here's, here's, here's how it works. Here's how it works. Here's how it works. No mother ever said to her children, Oh, you don't love me? It's okay. The neighbor's children love me. And they're cuter than you. No mother ever said that. Because no mother needs love from her children. But every mother needs her children's love. Make sense? It's not I need love. If I don't get it from you, I'll get it from the neighbor's kids. I don't need love from my children, but I need my children to love me. So if they don't love me, I can get it from the neighbor's kids? No, I can't. I can't get your love from anybody else. Same is true with a husband and wife. Of course I love your love. And I do love everything about you, but only because it's you. So you start with, I love you. Now, everything about you becomes precious. Even things I never loved before. Like, you know, the expression, if you harm a hair on her head, I'm going to kill you. Oh, really? You're into hair? <laughs> One hair? You're a little obsessive, no? No, it's not hair. It's her hair. Everybody else's hair, you can do whatever you want. But not her hair. Her love, her personality, her money. It's only because it's your money. Otherwise, <laughs> but, that, but that is the truth. You marry her and everything else becomes important. But by themselves... So let's go back to the soulmate. Soulmate means man without woman and woman without man are not complete because a real human being is male and female. Being only male or only female, not complete. What's missing? Don't get confused. There is no what that is missing. It's the who. 
So if I marry you for no reason, and you become unavailable to me, what am I lacking? What am I lacking? Nothing. I was never lacking anything, any what's. But you are missing in my life. <coughs> that's why God created us. And that's why we are his, whether you do 613 mitzvahs or none. And just to prove that, we do none. <laughs> just to prove that our relationship is not about anything. Jew does no mitzvahs at all and feels completely and totally Jewish. It was years ago, I was getting on a plane, and there's a guy sitting right next to where I was going to sit down. I'm putting my stuff up, and I said to him, you know what time it is? He says, you don't think I'm Jewish, do you? <laughs> what in the world? And just because I don't keep all the rituals doesn't mean I'm not, I'm just as Jewish. As, all right. What is that? Yes, I agree. True. All right. You know what time it is? What is that? That's a response to the threat. Because religious people have this nasty language. If you don't eat like a Jew, if you don't dress like a Jew, if you don't holiday like a Jew, then you're not a Jew. And something in the Jewish soul says, that can't be. So every time a religious Jew looks at him, he says, oh, so you don't think I'm Jewish? I can just imagine that that's what his grandfather told him. You're not my grandchild, you're not religious, you're not a Jew, you're like everybody else. And the Jewish soul says, wait a minute. This is not about something. This is because God is not only perfect. He's also romantic. It's the only word you can use for it. I don't need you for anything, and yet you must be in my life. What is that? What can you call it other than romantic? So a final story. I get a phone call. It's a funny story, but it's true. I get a phone call years ago. The guy says, I, I don't want to tell you my name, but I live in a little town in Oregon. Not a Jewish town. I'm a retired psychiatrist. I was born Jewish, but for the last 30 years of my life, I've been practicing Christianity. But now, as I'm getting older, I'd like to feel connected to my people. But there's no Jewish community here. So what can I do here to feel connected to my people? So of course, I said to him, get a pair of tefillin. And you'll put them on every morning and you'll feel connected to your people. 
he says, oh, I, I can't do that. Every time I try to do something Jewish, I've had a bad experience. So I said, you know, nobody is Jewish because it's been a good experience. <laughs> Welcome to the club. If you do what God needs from a Jew, you feel like a Jew. When you're doing what God needs from non-Jews, you feel like a non-Jew. He says, God needs? I've never heard that. So I'm getting really impatient with this guy. Won't tell me his name. Every time he does something Jewish. What, what is this? So impatiently I said to him, look, God is all-powerful. Yeah. He's all-knowing. He's infinite in all ways. Yes. He's infinitely smart. Yeah. He's infinitely big, strong. He's infinitely patient. Well then, he must also be infinitely vulnerable. So he starts to laugh. He says, God is vulnerable. God is almighty. So he's a retired psychiatrist. So I said to him, doctor, you're not suggesting that Vulnerability is a weakness, are you? He got totally flustered and he hung up the phone. A <laughs> couple of days later, I get a phone call. Hi, I don't want to tell you my name. I'm from Oregon. Where do I get to it? I said, why all of a sudden? Give him a hard time, you know. I said, why all of a sudden? He says, well, I, I can't accept Christianity and the message of Christianity. I said, after 30 years? He says, my professional background doesn't permit me. I said, you've been doing it for 30 years. What happened? He says, let me explain this. In our profession, we know there is no love without vulnerability. So if a man were to say to a woman, I love you very, very much, more than anything in the world, oh, you're not interested? You're lost. Go to hell forever. You're lost. We know that the man never loved her. It wasn't love. It was manipulation. Religion, not just Christianity, almost every religion, every religion tells you that God loves you very much, but he really doesn't need you at all. We understand. If you don't need me, you don't love me. There is no love without vulnerability. If not having me doesn't hurt, you don't love me. Love is not a plaything. 
So here's how it works. Love is not important. It's not important. You should love. The proper emotion in a relationship with someone significant and important is to love them. But if they're not significant, loving them will not make them significant. That's a horrible idea, by the way. If I love you, you become the most important creature on earth. When I stop loving you, you're garbage. How, how horrible is that? So, there's a mitzvah to love God. Why? Because love makes the world go round? No, because God makes the world go round. So God is important to your life. You should love him. Your mother is important to your life. You should love her. If you don't love her, she's still important. Maybe even more important. There's a mitzvah to love every Jew. Yeah, because love is everything. No, it's because it's your fellow Jew. They're not going away, <laughs> so might as well love them. So love means the response to things that are important. But to make love itself important is a distortion. It's a tragedy that every kid in America... Every 10-year-old, 11-year-old will choose his dog over his father because he loves his dog. Why would you not love your other half? If you don't, it's a problem, but he's still your other half. So if you don't love him today, you'll love him tomorrow. So, here we have a few definitions. Intimacy means two people merging into each other by removing all things. So if you ask your grandmother, what happens in the bedroom? Your grandmother says, nothing. You say, no, come on, really, what? Nothing. Nothing. That's so true. Anything you say destroys the bedroom. A bedroom is a place for him and her, not for pornography. There's no object, there's just him and her. There's no thing, there's no it. It's two people without anything coming between them. And that's why physical intimacy, according to Torah, has to be without clothes. You can't be intimate with partially dressed because it comes between you. There are things even more destructive. Like if you're angry at each other, you're not going to have intimacy. You're just going to do sex. If you're half asleep or half drunk or half, it's not intimacy. Intimacy means dissolving into the relationship with nothing stopping you. 
holding back nothing. But here's, here's the important. How do you know when you meet somebody, how do you know this is your soulmate? You don't know. There's no way to know. And you don't really need to know. What you need to know is, is this person someone you hope is your soulmate? Then marry him. If the marriage actually happens, now you know it's your soulmate. In other words, if God allows the marriage to take place, he is approving. Now it's your soulmate. Until you're married, you don't know, and you don't need to know. All you need to know is that you're really hoping this is it. Now, sometimes you hope this is it, and it doesn't happen. Don't be heartbroken. It's not your soulmate. If it was your soulmate, you would be married. If you're not married, not your soulmate. There are no mistakes. There are no mistakes. They are divorced. They married their soulmate, and they're divorcing their soulmate. Yes. Yeah, God invented it. But if getting married makes you bond with a soulmate, then how come we have the concept of divorce? Divorce means an amputation. You're severing the oneness. But it was not a mistake. Okay? So, no marriage is ever a mistake. You've got to believe that because otherwise every marriage could be a mistake. Particularly if there were children. If the marriage was a mistake, so the children it produced is also a mistake? God forbid. So if the children can't be a mistake, then the marriage can't be a mistake. The tragedy of divorce is that you're divorcing your soulmate. If you just made a mistake and married the wrong person, it's not a big tragedy. Get out of there. The tragedy is, God intended for you to be together, and you can't. Can't. So God says, well, if you can't, I will invent divorce, and I will get you out of the marriage that I put you into. So what happens when you remarry a second time? Every marriage is a soulmate, which means a soul can divide not just into half, but into parts. So a soulmate is not the other half of your soul. It's another part of your soul. But there can be seven parts. Seven parts male, seven parts female. After seven, you're on your own. <laughs> the eighth marriage, it can be anybody. But going back to your question. Can you marry anybody? You should. 
you should be able to marry anybody. I'm not talking about a mass murderer. Any decent person should be able to be married to any decent person. Why not? See, with a non-Jew, with a non-Jew, it would be a union, but not a reunion, because they're not the same soul. But any marriage, even with a non-Jew, why can't you get along? What is this impossibility? So, theoretically, you could marry anybody and make it work, because you're nice. You're generous. You're flexible. So why not? The problem is, not the problem, the, the, the sensible thing is, marry someone who doesn't challenge every one of your needs or weaknesses. So why do you date at all? Why not just get married over the phone? Huh? You love, you love pina colada and walks in the rain? Good. We'll get married on Thursday. See, you're not supposed to marry someone for their looks. But why are you dating? To check out the looks. So it's not that you're going to marry the looks. You want to see what the person looks like so that you know that their looks will not be difficult for you. You don't need every challenge in the world. So you're not looking for the most beautiful woman in town. Well, then you're competing with every other guy. It's a, it's a miserable society. There's one popular girl, everybody wants her. Everybody else is garbage. It's horrible, really. The life of a teenager in, in a secular, it's a horrible life. You're either the top. So, in principle, you can marry anybody. But why take the most difficult when you can minimize? So you don't go out to see if she is the most beautiful. You go out to see if her looks are pleasant to you. And that's why somebody else may not think she's so good looking. But looking at her makes you comfortable. That's all you want to know. Because you're not marrying her looks. You want to know uh, her family? You're not, everybody says, I'm not marrying your family. Yeah, but you're going to put up with it. So better check it out and make sure that there isn't that much to put up with. Or that it's put upable. So don't take on every difficulty in the world. You go out to minimize the difficulties. But the talent of letting another person into your life, that should be able to apply to anybody. But then, you're not marrying a nice person. You're marrying your soulmate. And that's what makes marriage a unique type of relationship that is more powerful than parent and child. You become more connected, more related to a spouse 
than to your own parents or to your children. And that's why the marriage comes first, before the parents, before the children. So let's use another word instead of love. You get married to become one. You do that when you're perfect or don't care to be perfect. You're content with yourself. Now you're ready to get married. So one way of looking at it is, how do you know you're ready to get married? When you wake up in the morning and you go in the bathroom and you look in the mirror. When you look in the mirror and you are fascinated by what you see. Don't get married. But if you're waking up in the morning and looking in the mirror and thinking, you again? I know you. Isn't it time for a new face? Okay, now you're ready to get married. So when you're done, when you're done being perfect, that's when you bring another person into your life. For what purpose? Not for anything. It's just that being alone is not good. It's not goodness. Torah doesn't say being alone is impractical. Because who's going to fry an egg for you? Who's going to parallel park for you? No. Being alone can be very practical. Don't have to answer to anyone. You can do it your way. As long as you're sufficient self-sufficient, why not be alone? The only thing missing when you are perfect is someone else other than you. So God created us and gave us freedom of choice so that we are other, not a clone. God created angels and he was still alone because you never get an argument from an angel. To not be alone, there has to be an other. So what do you love most about your husband? The things you disagree with. That makes him other than you. Or the things that impress you about him that he has that you don't. But it's the difference that you love, not the sameness. That's the other. So here's, here's the way it should look. You get married, you become one, and you make a home. Home, that should be the most popular and the most powerful word in our vocabulary. Because home means there's a place where you actually belong. You're not alone. You belong. What do you do in this place where you belong? What you are meant to do. And with whom? With the one person that is meant for you. So to put it in more personal terms, when you're home, 
There is no place else you'd rather be. Ever. What you do at home, there is nothing else you'd rather be. And the person you're with, there's no one else you'd rather be with. That's called heaven. That is heaven. Because in the rest of our lives, we never feel like we are where we belong. You go to work every day. Is that where you belong? A moment of home is a moment of heaven. The opposite, if you dread coming home, that's the opposite of heaven. That is literally hell. So people say, you believe in heaven and hell? I say, believe in it? I've been there. You've never been to heaven? No. You've never been to heaven? You're, you're missing out on a lot of life. You've never had a heavenly experience? And you've never been to hell? Sure you have. So do you remember uh, Billy Joel? Nice Jewish boy. <laughs> Wrote some nice Jewish music. Like Piano Man. So you remember the line? They're sharing. Anybody can sing it? They're sharing a drink they call loneliness, but it's better than drinking alone. Marriage means a solution to aloneness. Loneliness you can share. So what happens? You go to a bar because you're lonely. So you share a drink with another lonely soul so you're sharing your loneliness. But then you go home. You're lonely again? No. Now you're alone. What Much worse than loneliness. So God was not lonely without us. He was alone. We keep saying that, actually. Before creation, there was nothing but God. Only he existed. You think that's a compliment? No, that's his problem. There was just him. How exciting. So imagine if you were perfect. What would you say to somebody who is perfect, eternal, infinite, all-knowing, all-powerful? <laughs> yeah, because what else can you say? What's new? Nothing. So what's happening? Nothing. So what are you into? Nothing. Being perfect is horrible. Because you're missing nothing. But in God's humility, being the perfect self is not enough. Without us, he is not enough. You know, 
Can you get a bigger compliment than that? With us, he is enough. Now, tell me, is that not lovable? What's not to love? If you create a home where there's no place else you'd rather be and there's nothing else you'd rather do and there's no one else you'd rather be with, I dare you not to love it. So what does a man need from a woman? It's much greater than any thing. Much greater than all things. It's a non-thing. And that's what's human. Pornography has now infected every home. You know, I say this on, on radio shows, television interviews, to people who you would like this one Jamaican, really liberal, wild, crazy character. And she was interviewing me. She says, so, okay, so, so what is intimacy? I said, intimacy means that you turn the lights off. I was so surprised. She said, wow, wow, lights off. You ever watch reruns like I Love Lucy or the Honeymooners? Nah. In all those shows from the 50s, whenever they showed a couple in the bedroom, huh? they had separate beds, but if they were going to be intimate, they turn the lamp off. And then you know they're being intimate. That was the norm. What changed that? Pornography introduced the idea of keeping the lights on because cameras don't work well in the dark. It's pornography. And pornography is definitely not intimate. So look, listen to this. Intimacy, physical intimacy, has to be face-to-face. -face. Anything else is degrading and impersonal. But the lights have to be off. Because you should not see any thing you also shouldn't hear anything. And you also shouldn't be saying anything. No things. So imagine, you don't see anything, you don't hear anything, you don't say anything. What's left?
and what that does for the children born from such a union, incalculable. It is such a blessing for the kids. If husband and wife feel bonded, the child feels bonded to them. If the husband and wife are just doing something, then the kid is going to do his thing as if he's not even related to his parents. That's what we're having today. A complete estrangement. Husband from wife, children from parents. The glue is missing. And the glue is intimacy. What does it take to be intimate? The elimination. Not something you do, what you don't do. Don't bring anything into the bedroom. Grandma was right. What happens in the bedroom? Nothing. Nothing. That is a compliment to the human being. We can actually rise above all things. Okay. What do you think? Doable? Does it sound doable or just sounds nice? Huh? All right, so. Can I give you one, one practical suggestion right off the bat? Do not date. Dating has become like an alternative marriage. Don't date. I don't even know what the word means, by the way. What are you dating? You date a dead body. <laughs> you meet. You meet. And see whether this is a marriage. How many times do you have to meet before you decide? Never, never more than three months. If by the end of three months you still don't, then forget about it. Never date for three years and then decide not to get married. That should never happen. Also, if you really want to get married, and this is only half funny, the other half is serious. You really want to get married? When? Give me a date. How about June? Right? It's December now. June? Realistic? If you really want to get married, pick a day in June and mark it on your calendar. June 15. It's perfect. The next person you meet, not date, the next person you meet on the first meeting, take out your calendar. <laughs> huh? Both. 
getting out their phone. I'm scheduled for June 15th. You looked it up? <laughs> it's a Wednesday. Perfect. I listen. So when I say this, very often women will say, oh, you can't do that. They'll run away. Aha, uh -huh, so you understand. <laughs> exactly. If you say I want to be married by June and he runs away, good. <laughs> if he says June 15th of which year? <laughs> Pay for the Coke and go home. Dating has become a curse. It's a semi-marriage, a partial marriage, a temporary marriage, an alternative marriage. It does not prepare you for marriage. Doesn't. Because dating is always about something, and marriage is never about anything. So mark it on your calendar and think this way. When you talk to God, don't say, where are all the men? Because God's not going to answer. <laughs> don't say, where are all the women? And don't pray to meet a nice guy. It's a silly prayer. Tell God, seriously, by June 15th, I want to be settled in my family, in my home. Go for the whole package. Don't ask for a piece of it. By June 15th, I want to be settled in my 